you only have until the end of June to get two months of premium access to the fastest growing training app in the world. The Motive app gives you a customized training plan no matter what race you have on your calendar. You can use code SMARTER2 when signing up at mymotive.com, but like I said, this offer is going soon, so take action now. On today's episode, quantifying pain level characteristics. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Run Smarter Scholars, we have another lesson to take away. We're extremely valuable for you moving forward, whether you're injured or not, whether you're in pain or not. Um, it's a, a vital tool to, to know moving forward for you to thrive as a runner. Last episode, we had a similar format around quantifying effort levels and levels of intensity when you're going out for a run in order for you to calculate your trimp, your training impulse scores and making sure that we're mixing in both duration of a run but also intensity and just like putting a value on the intensity when it comes to your running so that we don't overload yourself and you can accurately measure things um, appropriately. And so today, very much similar to the effort levels of 1 to 10, we're going to go through pain level characteristics of 1 to 10. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's very, very important. One, the more we understand about your pain levels, the more that you can interpret whether an injury is tolerating load or not, whether that be like for rehab exercises or actually running in general. Um, we know that there are certain, le- certain injuries that um, you still can push through Low levels of pain, it doesn't necessarily need to be pain-free in order for it to be acceptable. A good example would be if you have patellofemoral pain, say knee pain, it's recommended that you can still run, distribute the load more evenly throughout the week and keep to pain levels around about, well, they suggest below a 4 out of 10 pain. And that's more if you follow those guidelines, if you follow those rules, you are more likely to overcome this injury quicker than someone who is strictly aiming for pain-free exercises and pain-free running levels. But exactly what is a four out of 10? Um, I'm going to try my best to attach, I guess, characteristics to a lot of these um, pain level severities. And so Yes, why we need to know this, interpreting the load response, interpreting your load tolerance 
is a big piece of this puzzle. Um, you can measure the short-term improvement when it comes to treatment effects. So if you can accurately say, oh, that level of pain is a five, and then you have whatever the treatment may be. It might be massage, stretching, strengthening exercises, dry needling, shockwave, anything. You can then go back and say, oh, so my pain is now a three or my pain is now a six. And you can accurately describe to interpret whether that treatment itself is effective or not. So that might be like a short-term example, but there are also a ton of like long-term examples, like trends in pain. If someone has chronic pain and they've had proximal hamstring tendinopathy for three years, they you'd want to accurately measure certain characteristics of or behavior of the pain in order to see week by week, sometimes, you know, fortnight by fortnight, if symptoms are improving. And it might just be a very small trend, but if you can identify it correctly, then it's a huge advantage to understanding if what you're doing is, is working or not. And a lot of times it's hard for people to realize or see the benefits if that improvement is so gradual, they think they're staying the same. They think they're not getting better when in fact you look back you know, over three, four weeks and say, actually, your pain levels were at a six. Now they're at like a three for most of your your working week or most of your running mileage. And it it's um, it's hard for them to realize if they weren't documenting things or if they weren't accurately measuring those pain levels. So yes, good for the short term, good for the long term. Uh, it's, it's going to be a, a difficult topic because I do know that everyone, everyone experiences pain differently. Everyone has a different... I guess, narrative around what they think their pain thresholds are and they've had certain pain episodes or um, injuries in the past where they think that they don't tolerate pain well or they do tolerate pain well. And so I know that this, I guess, this reference point that everyone has is going to be different for everyone. But similar to last episode when we talk about effort levels, this is only my opinion. This is only my interpretation. You can take with it what you will. You can interpret it on your own. Maybe you disagree with me in certain ways, but as long as you have your own reference point, that way, if something is effective, isn't effective, short-term, long-term, you're just measuring from your own reference point. And so, um, yeah, that reference point can be positioned on a, on a scale for someone else and be completely different. But this is what I'm um, this is what I naturally think of when I'm doing my pain rating scale. So let's start with zero and we'll work our way up to 10. Obviously we've got zero is just no pain. I have not felt anything in my elbow in the past two weeks, zero pain. Um, I haven't felt anything in my elbow for the last two years, but uh, that's another story. Um, so let's move up from there. Cause this is where it gets a little bit tricky. I've got the the one to two range. Now, if someone has pain at a one to two range or they rank it a one out of 10 or a two out of 10, I would, the characteristics I place upon this is it's hardly noticeable. If you are distracted, then it's almost undetectable. You're not thinking about it because you are distracted um, in most cases. And some other people might 
perceive it as not pain, but something else they might say, it's not painful, but there's definitely some tightness there. Or it's not painful, but it's just sore. It's not painful, but there's an ache. And these are kind of the characteristics which I would describe, okay, it's very mild. It's not no pain. If you notice tightness, um, if you go to stretch something or activate that injured site and you notice a very localized sensation of tightness, it's kind of like a severe tightness, I guess you could say. That's not zero pain. I'd say that's on, on a one to two scale. And so, yep, hardly noticeable. If you are playing sport and it completely goes away, if you're distracted with something else and you just don't notice it there, that's kind of where where we're sitting in that one to two range. Anywhere between, I, I think, three to six gets a little bit tricky, but I'll try my best to decipher it how I see fit. The three to four range, um, it's noticeable. You can notice it there. It's It's hard to ignore. So if you are... If you're distracted doing something else, you can still feel it in the background or it it may just like as soon as you just pay attention to it, there it is straight away. Um, And it might just be like a mild constant background sort of characteristic. But the key distinction that I find is that you're confident enough to not change any of your movements, not require any alterations, any compensations, um, going back to say running the characteristics I would say is you just have enough confidence. Let's just say I have foot pain. I have, I still have enough confidence to place my foot on the ground when I run and push off uh, without any hesitation, without any apprehension, without any need to compensate or limp or um, provide any of those compensatory um, behaviors that people do when they are in pain or have higher levels of pain, I should say. Um, so anywhere between the three to four, it's noticeable. You can notice it there. I would say um, the back of my knee is a good example, or sometimes some hamstring stuff. Um, I would go for a run and I'd notice it. If I was to pay attention to it, I'd notice it every time, almost every step, but I still feel confident. My stride is exactly the same as my opposite side. I can plant my foot. I can take off. I'm okay with hills. I'm okay with slightly increasing my speed. I, I don't have any any worries, any fears, um, or like I said, alterations, disruptions, compensations. That's um, because the pain levels are low enough for me to feel confident to do those things. And so that's probably the main feature I have deciding whether it's a three to four or whether it's a five to six. Because a five to six starts to get really uncomfortable, just ticking up on the severity scale. And perhaps this is just painful enough for you to start being quite apprehensive to do things. Like if it's my foot pain, apprehensive to to land on it, or if it's my hamstring, really hesitant to plant my foot or take off or do those sort of things. So I might shorten my stride. I might slightly limp Um, outside of running. um, If you have knee pain, and going from sitting to standing or getting up out of a car, swiveling around, you have to really modify what you actually do because the pain levels are, um, are creeping up in that severity level, then it's probably a five or a six. I do know like... 
just stepping away for a brief moment to explain how the Motive app can help achieve your best running results. It's obvious that in order to perform at your best, you need a tailored plan designed by the best coaches in the world that perfectly match your upcoming races, your fitness level, and your precise goals. Well, the Motive app does exactly that. I've been getting some great feedback from you Run Smarter Scholars who have taken up this offer. So if you haven't done so already, you can use code SMARTER2 and get two months of premium access. But this offer won't last forever. So give it a try today by signing up at mymotive.com. Throughout the day, someone might have pain um, or just have fear of producing pain. So they might be pain-free and still modify their movements because of the fear of what the pain might cause. But that's where this whole um, topic gets a little bit gets a little bit swirly, and the the definitions um, are just like if you are in pain, you have to change your movements because the pain is so severe. So again, it's quite tricky um, to really characterize these and, and attach characteristics because they're always going to be little. Uh, exceptions to the rule. But nonetheless, uh, if you're limping, if you try and run and you find yourself compensating in any particular way, if you're moving, trying to walk upstairs and you have to hold onto a rail because of the pain, it's going to be north of a four out of 10. So five, five to six, starting to get uncomfortable, compensating a little bit. And um, yeah, it, it's still, it's still not you're still able to do those tasks. You're still able to get up. You're still able to do the stairs. And, um, but the pain levels are just, they're just starting to, to rise, which takes me to the next part, which is the sevens to eights, the sevens to eights, which I rarely see. Most people hover below a seven in terms of their pain levels, but this is when we're starting to get really aggravated, irritated, and it's starting to disrupt your day. There's fear avoidance. There's um, this is hard to find comfortable movements, hard to find comfortable positions, and it starts. You start avoiding things and having. That's what we call like fear avoidance. If we use like the knee pain for example, and using stairs, someone with a three or four out of ten pain, they'd walk up the stairs and still notice pain, but still uninterrupted. The five to six, they might go up the stairs and they might need to use the rail. They might need to, you know, hobble a little bit. The sevens to eights, they probably wouldn't use the stairs. They'll probably um, try and either hop up the stairs, go up backwards, or really take a long time to get up the stairs. Maybe just take the escalator, just avoid stairs altogether. It's those sort of behaviors that I would say is climbing up north of six and getting into the sevens or eights. Um, and similar to the effort levels, like we know it's very easy to describe a zero to one effort level. It's very easy to describe a 10 level of effort because you're just doing a max out sprint, the best you've got. It's kind of similar with this pain scale because, you know, the 10 is meant to be the worst pain imaginable. So a nine to 10 is just the worst pain you can experience, um, which <laughs> You know, it depends on your experiences. It depends on what pain you, you can encounter. But um, I'll just say for the, the nines and tens, it's just really, really uncomfortable, really unpleasant, sharp sort of sensations. It could be um, unremitting, hard to really find anything that eases those kind of characteristics. So anything like easier than that, just shy of that would be, you know, your eights, 
your eights or your nines and moving back down through there. So if I was to summarize, zero, obviously no pain, one to twos, hardly noticeable, easily get distracted and just goes away, undetectable if you are distracted, some tightness, like just mild tightness, soreness, aches, those sort of things. The three to fours, still enough, it's still noticeable um, with the pain, but you're confident enough to still do the task. Five to six, you're not that comfortable to do the task. You have to start modifying it or compensating a little bit. Sevens to eights, you're usually avoiding the task. It's usually too painful. And the nines to tens are just well above that. It's uh, it's hard to find an ease. It's hard to find things that actually do ease things. Uh, I do have a ton of considerations when it comes to the pain. So we'll talk about that now. While I was just... Um, pasting that ad, which, you know, I do as I record solo episodes, um, made me think of a good example would be me sitting because I have had episodes here and there of proximal hamstring tendinopathy and I like to stay very strong, like to keep a very high capacity, but just sometimes it'll just start getting sore if I do heavy deadlifts um, for 24 hours or something. And I think it's a good example because one, if there's no pain, I just, it's, it's not there. The one to two range, um, I start to notice it. If I sit down and really think, I'm like, oh, my hamstring's starting to feel a little bit sore. But as soon as I have a task to do or an interview to to take or a, a podcast episode to record, I just don't notice it. The three to fours, if I'm sitting, um, it's noticeable. It's usually quite noticeable. Um, if I was still talking to someone, just every now and then I'd be like, oh, that's still there. That background ache is still there. But I'm just sitting comfortably in my chair. The five to six is when I start getting quite um, wriggly. I start moving around. I start constantly like shifting my weight to try and take pressure off the the high hamstring and uh, showing signs of it being noticeably uncomfortable. And it's those five to six where I don't think I'd ever climb north of that when I'm sitting. Um, I would probably make countermeasures before that so it doesn't get into a seven or eight, but... I would um, change my behavior in ways of maybe make a conscious effort to do more standing. I do have a sit-stand desk, um, but that's a good example that illustrates like these kind of pain characteristics. Okay, um, some considerations when talking about pain, um, some considerations that I think we all should know whether you're in pain or not. One is, I thought I'd briefly mention just acceptable pain levels. Uh, like I said at the start, say for knee pain, um, less than a four out of 10 during activity, either during your rehab exercises or during the run itself, is usually considered as acceptable, provided that symptoms return to baseline within 24 hours. That's pretty much the case for most, say, tendon issues, for most soft tissue in- issue- injuries. Um, stress fractures are the exception to the rule. If you do have a suspected stress fracture or you're not responding well to standard um, treatment, if you think it's something else um, and it is like a a stress fracture that hasn't been identified, um, be very, very cautious. Because we're stress fractures, we do want to start to return to running and it needs to be pain-free. We can't have like a three out of 10 pain with your running because it's not going to heal properly and it's going to make matters a lot worse. So usually stress fractures are the exception to the rule, but I've done a ton of episodes on acceptable pain levels. And so um, just thought I'd briefly mention it in here. 
a good example, like even just this morning, uh, this week is my deload week. I ramped up, um, let me just pull up my, my routine. So last week I did, um, 28, uh, 28 Ks in the week. My long run was 12 Ks, which isn't, um, it isn't a massive amount. Um, I did train quite intense. So my trimp went from 472 to 579. So my mileage didn't increase that much. It increased by maybe about, um, two, two kilometers, but my trimp like really jumped up to about a hundred. And so I jumped up by about a hundred. And so thought this week would be a deload week. My, um, my right foot, the anterior part of my ankle just started getting a little bit sore. What else was getting sore? Um, I think that was it. Anyway, decided to take a deload week. And so did a 4k easy on Tuesday and this morning decided to do a 5k easy, but just walking down the stairs, um, like early in the morning before going for my run, started noticing a little ache in my left foot, which is like kind of the same area that I've had midfoot injuries in the past. I'm like, okay, I don't know why that's there. I did squats and I did, uh, actually I did do heavy double leg calf raises yesterday, which is what I suspect, um, injured me in the first place, but I've since moved to from single leg calf raises. Cause I thought it might've been the twisting action, uh, when you start lifting heavy single leg calf raises, it's really hard to maintain balance or maintain a straight balance. So I've now gone to heavier, but just doing double leg calf raises. So maybe that was it. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. Um, bit of an ache in my foot and thought I'd just test it out to see how I go. Pain was definitely a one because it was not even really there. It was just me being like, I've been injured there before. Um, let me pay attention to it. And so I started my run, um, just thought I'd test it out. So for the first 30 seconds to 60 seconds, I ran, did not feel it. So I'm like, great, let me continue my run. And I got to 1K and I'm like, okay, I can notice it. At the start, I did notice it. Now I can notice it. But let me just see how I go because at the moment, it's about a one or a two. And then I got about a K and a half in and it climbed to about a two or a three. It was just an ache, a bit of a throb, definitely worse than when I started. So then I pulled the pin and I pretty much walked the entire way home, like the K and a half home because I'm like, nah, today's not my day. And that's just one, one way of me, um, saying like, I'll live to fight another day. I'd be really disappointed in myself. If I notice, if I interpreted these symptoms right now and I decided to be really stubborn, get through my 5k and then for the rest of the day, my foot's really sore if the possibility of the next day my foot's really sore, I'd just be really angry at myself. So decide not to risk it because if it's if the pain levels are increasing in the first K and a half from a zero to a two, what are the odds that if I continue, it's going to get into a three, four, five? Pretty high, I'd say. And so didn't want to do that. Didn't want to be angry at myself. So just doing strength training today. And um, that's a uh, another example I can think of countless ones where I've interpreted these sort of pain levels and, um, started to, and, and made decisions around that and making sure that, okay, if I am injured tomorrow, will I be upset at myself? And there are times when an injury might flare up 
and I'm not upset at myself because I've told, uh, I've kind of like forecast and said, okay, Brody, if I was to try this 4K run today and I get injured tomorrow, would I be upset at myself? And I say, no, I wouldn't because there's no signs. It's not like I'm not pushing any boundaries. I'm not, uh, I'm still playing quite safe. Um, and then I wake up the next morning and I am a bit sore and I say, hey, that's a decision that I made. It's not going to last for that long because it wasn't a big risk. And I just know that injuries are part of part of running and it's just the decision I made. So mentally, I have um, made peace with myself with that decision that I made to continue. And yeah, with that foot pain that I had this morning, it was still, I was still confident to push off. I was still confident to place my foot on the ground and push off. Uh, I'm a um, midfoot runner. So there was a lot of strain going through that area, but I was fine to, to do that. I didn't have to change my gait or change my running style. I hadn't, didn't need to go to a heel strike to try and deload that area, but <clears throat> noticed that it was getting worse. So made that judgment call. Uh, <laughs> that was a long ramble for my first consideration. The second consideration that I have is that, um, not only do you measure the severity of the pain, but you can also measure the lingering duration. It's particularly in the mornings, particularly with tendon pain or say plantar fasciitis. So you might say, okay, I woke up in the morning and it was a five out of 10. Key to note that, okay, it was a five out of 10 for the first 60 seconds, then it eased off to a two, or was it a five out of 10 for the first 10 minutes and really struggled to, to ease off? So not only if, if we're trying to interpret load tolerance or if we're trying to interpret whether treatment is improving, sometimes that characteristic can be really key because you could write all these things down, have a look over the week and say it's not improving, um, but Hey, at the start of the week, it was a six out of 10 and it lasted half an hour. Now it's still a six out of 10, but it's lasting 30 seconds. That is a very stark improvement. No matter what your treatment was, I'd continue doing that because, um, there is those signs, those characteristics that things are, are settling and things are improving. This is a very, like one of the dangers we have with measuring pain levels. We know that with chronic pain, we know um, pain science, the brain creates, it's all about the threat levels and it's all about prioritizing threat levels and producing pain accordingly. And this is where like this might not be advised. It's, it's a very touchy subject, but if someone does have chronic pain and they're constantly thinking, what's my pain out of 10? What's my pain out of 10? How long is the pain lasting for? What is it when I step? Like every single step or movement they make, they're like, what is it out of 10? They're constantly feeding that into the brain. That creates hypervigilance and it creates importance and it heightens threat levels and therefore contributes to ongoing pain moving forward. And so it's a really delicate balance that we need to be mindful of because yes, pain, interpreting pain levels are important, it's good to have a good reference point and have your own reference point. But if you're constantly thinking about the pain itself, then it might be unhelpful and spark that kind of feed forward. And the brain starts to think, you know, this is a, this is a big problem. We need to really sort this out now. And that's kind of this like little consideration I thought I'd add in here because it is something to think about. Um, where I kind of sit on it is 
yeah, you can measure the pain level, but don't attribute any attitude to it. Don't attribute any negativity to it. If you can just sit there and say, say with my hamstring, I'd say I'm probably, I have chronic pain because here and there, this proximal hamstring tendinopathy has been probably about five years. Um, it comes and goes, but it's the attitude that I give it. So if I'm sitting um, and I say, oh, it's a five or a six out of 10, I really need to move around. I definitely tell myself, okay, I know that sitting isn't actually causing more damage. I know this isn't doing more damage to my tendon. I know it's the deadlifts that I did this morning that's attributing to this. Those deadlifts are going to be contributing to my overall strength and capacity. So it's actually helpful. I might've just overdone it just slightly, but I know that I return to baseline symptoms very quickly based on the past. Um, I'm okay with the level of pain. I know acceptable levels of pain and I know it's not doing damage but someone else can constantly rate themselves and say, I'm a five out of six, I'm sitting, it's getting worse. Um, will I ever be back to sitting again? Will I, um, what about if I can't sit at the movies or sit out with um, dinner with my family later on and start feeding in negative thoughts and attitudes? Like we're still rating the pain and we're still um, being very helpful with with interpreting symptoms based on pain levels, but how you interpret that, what thoughts you give to it, what emotions you attribute to it is very different. And if it's negative, then that brain's going to get really wound up, really sensitized, and you're going to contribute to that hypervigilance. But the other one is just a little bit more, it's less of a threat, less of a an, an alarming, doesn't spark your alarm systems, yet it's just productive. It's, it's a, a tool. It's being, um, yeah, productive in your recovery. So that's kind of where I sit on things. I hope that made sense. If you're not too familiar about the pain science side of things, there are a ton of episodes to listen to on those. Um, but we also know when it comes to chronic pain, this is another consideration that the pain sensitivity, like it changes, the threat level increases. Uh, what was once a, a two out of 10 is now a five without any changes in physical, um, physical, mechanical changes. There's no damage, more damage that's being done. All that's happened is the brain's prioritized the threat level to something a bit higher and therefore pain levels increase. And so <clears throat> I think if someone does have really chronic, constant, nasty pain that doesn't make sense, random flare-ups without any explanation, then potentially the pain levels aren't, probably shouldn't trust those pain levels as much. Maybe uh, an acceptable loading rate might be a six or a seven out of 10 because your scale has shifted and this chronic pain has um, increased the amount of sensitization within the body, this central sensitization, and it's just all ramped up. I used the example um, earlier in the podcast, like within the first 10 episodes about the, the tool shed around, you know, your pain alarm system is there to protect you and it's the same as if you had a tool shed and you wanted to protect the tool shed or you want to protect um, the shed from people breaking in and stealing tools. So you set an alarm system, perfectly fine. Uh, that's exactly what the body does. It triggers an alarm whenever there's danger. But if you overdo things and you set trap doors, if you set like laser alarms, heat sensors, motion detection sensors, like all these um layer upon layer of um, 
overactivity than if there's a break-in and everything just busts loose and all the alarms go off and all the smoke machines and calls and everything that that's designed to do, um, you're going to get more bang for your buck. And so over time, if you really high, think about it, overthink it, create hypervigilance, that, that pain sensitization starts to increase. Therefore, the pain level is a bit disproportionate relative to the actual damage that's being done. So again, something to think about. I know the pain topic has a lot of tangents, has a lot of exceptions to the rule, is open to interpretation and debate a lot of the times, but this is just my best attempt to try and clarify everything. Um, The importance of practice, like the more practice, similar to effort levels, the more you interpret things, the more you just can establish your reference point. My four out of 10 is different from your four out of 10, but at least you know where your four out of 10 is, then we can work. If it's a bit more, if, if something is greater than a four, if something's less than a four, then you can at least build upon that to work out what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. So try establishing your current reference point. Um, and if you feel doing some exercises or going for a run isn't getting better, if it's if pain levels are just nagging afterwards or it's carrying over the next day, maybe your four out of tens needs to be adjusted a little bit more. Maybe you think it's an acceptable four out of 10 when it's really an unacceptable six out of 10. So um, try it out, try out, try and find a reference point similar to these effort levels. Um, and if things aren't working for you over a longer period of time, then you might need to make your own adjustments. So that's it for today, guys. I know I've um, kind of done a bit of a recap on the, the zero to 10 scale. Don't think I really need to do that again. Uh, hope this made a lot of sense. Hopefully it sparked some insight. Hopefully it's um, helped going to help you with your recovery or any niggles that pop up in the future. And we'll catch you in the next episode. So as we sign off, remember, every new insight brings you one step closer to your next running breakthrough. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn, but implement these lessons, who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.